Welcome to Enriched Menopause, where perimenopausal and menopausal women can learn what's going on with their bodies and how to thrive during this stage and beyond. You are not crazy and you are not alone. I'm Dr. Jessica Rich. Let's do this together. Hello and welcome back to Enriched Menopause. I'm so happy to have you here listening with me today. Last week we talked with Dr. Clark about how to connect and embrace your sensuality. So if you missed that one, go back and check it out. Dr. Clark is a sex therapist and really an expert in this area. But today we're going to talk about, well, what do you do if you want to have that? You want to have that connection. You want to kind of get your groove back, but it's painful or not quite working out. So we're going to talk about some factors that can lead to that and what you can do about that. Now, two weeks ago, we did talk about the most common cause of painful sex that happens to women in perimenopause and postmenopause, and that's genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which is basically that lack of estrogen around the tissues of the vagina and the vulva and the bladder. So if you missed that episode, go back and take a listen. But if you have listened or if you're already treating that genitourinary syndrome of menopause, but you're still having issues, then this is the episode for you. So first off, we're going to talk about what can cause issues in those same tissues that are affected by the lack of estrogen, the labia, the vagina, the tissues around the clitoris, and sometimes around that space in between the vagina and the anus. We're going to talk about something called lichen sclerosis. So basically what this is, is it's a skin condition It can be similar to other skin conditions found in other parts of the body and around the mouth and throughout the body, but it's a little bit different when it's around the labia. Lichen sclerosis typically occurs during times of lack of estrogen as well. So most often in women post-menopause, sometimes in younger girls before they hit puberty, and it can occur at other times as well, but usually with some sort of lack of estrogen. However, that's not the only issue because unlike the typical genitourinary syndrome of menopause, just adding back estrogen often isn't enough for lichen sclerosis. Usually there's also an inflammatory component to the condition, uh, which means that estrogen alone won't work. We don't know exactly what causes lichen sclerosis, just like a lot of other conditions, but we do know that it has something to do with that inflammatory process and the lack of estrogen. We do know that it can sometimes run in families, although there's no known genetic link there. Now, typically the classical treatment for lichen sclerosis would be something like a steroid cream, so clobetazole or betamethasone or something similar to that. And this works really well for a lot of women. Oftentimes we start with that pretty frequently and then start to taper it off as you start to feel better. However, more recently we've discovered that some of the newer laser treatments can be really helpful and effective against lichen sclerosis too, either done in conjunction with steroids or um, as laser treatments alone can be effective as well. And then there are also things that help with just moisturizing the area. So there's some over-the-counter topical things like vitamin E and coconut oil and a cream specifically tailored to this area called Perrin's Naturals. So there are a lot of different treatment options out there if lichen sclerosis is the issue. Now you may be wondering, well, how would I know if I have lichen sclerosis? It usually starts with 
itching and irritation around the labia. It can cause some splitting or tearing in the tissue and it can cause some scarring and in very severe cases can even cause the labia to scar shut. So it's important that if you start to see any changes like paleness or more of that sort of white thinning of the tissue or if you're feeling a lot of itching and irritation that you see a gynecologist and evaluate for this. Sometimes we can diagnose it just by looks alone. Sometimes it does require a biopsy to get a better idea. Now, if the pain that you're experiencing isn't really in the labia or at the opening of the vagina, but really deeper pain, then I start to think about a few other issues, whether it may be in the muscles of the pelvic floor or something deeper like the uterus or the ovaries. Pelvic floor dysfunction is something that people either don't know about or when they think about it, they think more of things like bladder function or prolapse. But pelvic floor dysfunction, which is when the muscles that wrap around the vagina and the bladder and the rectum, when those get very spasm, they can cause a lot of tenderness and pain as well. Sometimes this can feel a lot worse during sex or even make sex impossible. It can sometimes feel like your partner may be hitting a wall if they're trying to insert something. Other times it may be that you're having pain in this area, like everything kind of feels like it's pushing out. And sometimes the pressure of sex actually makes it feel a little bit better. So if you're having any of those issues, it's important again to see a gynecologist, generally a urogynecologist gynecologist or a minimally invasive gynecologist or a pelvic floor physical therapist to see if it may be an issue with the pelvic floor. Typically, if it is an issue with the pelvic floor, then pelvic floor physical therapy is sort of the gold standard of where we start to treat those issues. What that means is that you'll work one-on-one with a specially trained physical therapist. They'll help you identify those muscles. They'll work with you on the muscles that interact with the pelvic floor, like the muscles of the core and the back and the legs, but also really working internally on those muscles through the vagina to help release that spasm and kind of teach you how to use those muscles better for good function, but release that spasm that you have. If pelvic floor therapy alone isn't enough, there are medications that can be given either orally or through the vagina to help relax the muscles. And in some cases, we do Botox injections into the muscles themselves as well. Now, if the skin or the tissue isn't the problem, and if the muscles aren't the problem, but there is deeper pain with sex, then it may be related to the uterus or to the ovaries. With the uterus, I typically think about conditions like fibroids, endometriosis, adenomyosis, chronic inflammation, or sometimes infections in the uterus. It really takes a good gynecologist to help really examine and identify what those sources of pain are and if it seems to be coming from the uterus. Then it takes a careful process of elimination to see what is it that's causing that pain in the uterus. Sometimes it may be just treating with a course of antibiotics or testing for different infections to try to rule that out and to rule out the chronic inflammation. Sometimes it may be an ultrasound that can help to identify fibroids or features that may be consistent with something called adenomyosis. Sometimes it's really just ruling out all of those other factors to treat the uterine issue. Whatever the issue, it can be addressed by several different strategies. Like we said, some antibiotics may help if it's inflammation or chronic infection. Hormone therapy can help if it's suspected to be adenomyosis or even in some cases fibroids. And then of course there are smaller procedures for fibroids and 
If all else fails, hysterectomy is a great option in terms of releasing uterine pain because obviously if you don't have a uterus, you're not going to have any pain from the uterus. But if all that sounds a little bit too drastic or if you've tried some of those lesser options and they either haven't worked for you or you just don't want to go on to something aggressive, there's a great little device called the O-Nut. It's basically stackable plastic rings that if you're in a heterosexual relationship, your partner would wear at the base of his penis. And basically what it does is it helps to give him some uh, stimulation or firmness around the base of the penis, but then it prevents him from inserting too far into the vagina to get to that point of the uterus. So it depends on exactly what that depth is in your relationship with your partner in terms of how many rings that um, your partner might need to wear. It might just be one ring, it might be three rings, but either way, it allows both of you to enjoy sex and to avoid hitting the uterus so that you're not getting more pain. So that's a good option. That can also work if you're having pain related to the ovaries, but ovarian pain comes from a little bit different sources. Most often we think about ovarian cysts, and these can be either benign or potentially cancerous cysts. So if there's an issue with pain that seems to be related to the ovary, then you definitely want to have that evaluated by a gynecologist to see if there's anything concerning for your health. Sometimes it can be from scar tissue from prior infections or prior surgeries, which can be a little bit harder to treat. And that's where the ONOT may be um, something that comes in handy as well. For many women who are having painful sex, it may be a combination of factors. So there may be issues with the lack of estrogen in the tissue, and that may combine with pelvic floor issues and sometimes uterine or ovarian issues too, especially with people with a history of endometriosis or other chronic pain conditions. Although those conditions in general tend to get a little bit better um, postmenopausally, some of the effects of them can last for a much longer time. I always like to remind women that if you're having pain with sex, of course you're not going to be interested in having sex. Nobody really wants to have sex when it's painful because many women are concerned about their libido. So if it's painful, the first thing to do is address pain and see if the libido returns. But if not, of course, there are different changes in the hormones in perimenopause and menopause that can affect libido as well. And that's in addition to life stressors and changes with your partner and all of these other factors. So we have to look into all of those areas as well. In terms of the life factors, just like Dr. Clark and I had talked about, if you're so busy and so stressed out running around between work and home responsibilities or volunteer responsibilities or kids or taking care of other family members, it's hard to really get your mindset in that sort of place to want to have sex. So making sure that you're taking some time for yourself, setting aside some time for sex is important. And then your partner's issues. If your partner is not in good health or if they're having some erectile dysfunction or if you guys just really aren't making that connection, then that can be another reason to have sexual dysfunction. So it's really something that has to be worked on together if that's the issue. Now, of course, you don't have to have a partner to have sex, so you can find your own sort of uh, mojo. Now, if the issue really isn't pain, if there's no issues with the partner and really what you're feeling is a decrease in libido, no matter what you do, it does not mean that there's anything wrong with you. This is a natural process of the hormonal changes that happen in perimenopause and menopause, but that doesn't mean there's nothing you can do about it. 
Of course, you can talk to a sex therapist like Dr. Clark, who we spoke to last week. That can be very helpful. You can use different supplements like Ristella is one that I often recommend for my patients. And just like many other supplements, it works really well for some people, but not for everybody. There are topical things you can try like scream cream, which generally helps to bring blood flow to the clitoris and help to enhance libido and lubrication. And then there are other medications that can help too. As we talked in a previous episode about hormone replacement therapy, a lot of times if you're using hormone replacement therapy for other issues, it can really help with the libido as well. I typically don't recommend using it for a libido alone because there are other things that we can use that don't carry the same risks, but hormone replacement therapy can definitely be something that helps libido. And then there are things like flibinserin or the, the commercial name for that is called Addy. Basically, that's what some people refer to as female Viagra, although it is not Viagra. Uh, but it's another medication that can help with libido in the right circumstances for the right patient. And recently, they've taken off a lot of the restrictions. It was one medication that I didn't use a lot for my patients in the past because you really couldn't have any alcohol while you were on it and you had to take it every day. But now they've found with studies that uh, one to two glasses of alcohol can be okay with Addy and that it's something that um, can work well for a larger portion of people. Now, initially, flibinserin was not studied for postmenopausal women. It was studied for premenopausal women who had issues with hypoactive sexual desire disorder. But since then, a lot of women in the postmenopausal years have used it, and they do have pretty good effects. But again, making sure you're the right candidate for that. I know we've gone over quite a few things in this short episode, but I just want to reiterate that sexual dysfunction or issues around libido in sex are quite common for women, especially in perimenopause and postmenopause. It's really only an issue if it's a problem for you. So if you're not interested in having sex or um, things are working just fine for you, then you do not have to do anything about this. You definitely don't owe your partner sex. You don't owe anybody else anything. But if you are having issues and it's a problem for you, you personally, then definitely talk to your gynecologist or talk to a sex therapist. As I said, the first thing I do recommend doing is finding out is there a source of discomfort that can be addressed, that can be treated so that you can be feeling better and more interested in sex, and then dealing with any other issues that are affecting your libido as well. If you're feeling embarrassed about talking with your gynecologist or talking with a sex therapist, there's a great app that's available called Rosy, R-O-S-Y. It was developed by another OBGYN who had noticed that her patients were suffering from similar issues and that there weren't a lot of resources out there. It's a great app with differing levels of participation. There's sex therapists and other specialists on there. There's erotica on there. There's all sorts of things um, that you can explore depending on where your interest lies and what your comfort level is. And it helps to do it in a very anonymous way. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode and I hope that you check back to the last couple of episodes to help you to thrive as much as you can in your sex life 
life in perimenopause and postmenopause. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and share with someone in your life who may benefit from this too. Remember that while I am a doctor, this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is for informational purposes only. Talk with your doctor about what may apply to you and your health. We'll see you on the next episode of Enrich Menopause.